We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com podcast, kind of a bonus podcast here. Coming off that Lakers win over the Minnesota Timberwolves in that bizarre, insane game that, again, fortunately, ended with a Lakers victory. But how they got there, man, that was a winding and curvy road that ultimately led to a win. But a lot of Lakers fans certainly frustrated. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Also get into the Lakers matchup coming up with the Grizzlies. The schedule is now out for that kind of a mini pod because I honestly don't have a full length pod time slot here. But I am going to get into a number of questions and comments. Had a lot of questions coming in after the game that I still need to get to. In fact, more than I'm going to be able to get to in just this show. But I guess first and foremost, uh, the Lakers do advance to take on the Memphis Grizzlies. That means they're in the playoffs officially. The Lakers are the seventh seed. Now, again, the standings or the schedule is now out. And this is what it looks like. If you are a YouTube viewer, you can see the schedule on your screen. Podcast listeners, uh, this is what it looks like. It's Lakers-Grizzlies kicking off on Sunday, and it's going to be a noon Pacific time game. So to be that kind of early afternoon game on Sunday. Uh, then on Wednesday, the Lakers play. So not only do they get four days off between the Wolves game and the Grizzlies game, but then they get a couple of days between games as well. And I think this is actually critical. The Lakers, I thought, in the four or five games towards the end of the season here, have looked pretty exhausted. And I was hoping that most of what we were seeing was not exhaustion, was not fatigue, that it was more disinterest, that it was more the Lakers just playing against opponents that were resting players, feeling like they already had a play-in spot locked up, and and so maybe they weren't as focused on the game as should be. I was hoping that was mostly the, the root of the cause for why we were seeing the Lakers maybe not playing at 100% all game and that it wasn't a fatigue situation. Unfortunately, I think uh, against the Wolves, it did look like they were out of gas for portions of the game. Fortunately, though, the Wolves... Uh, looked like they were more out of gas, especially at the end of the game. They only had 12 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, nine of them really just three points coming from Mike Conley at the end of the quarter with 0.1 seconds left because Anthony Davis fouled him shooting a three when the Lakers were up three. Yeah, we'll, we'll still need to talk about that a bit more. But bottom line, I think this is a tired Lakers team. So it's a good thing that they have four days off before they have to play Memphis. Then after game one, you get two days. Then after game two, you get two days. Now, two days when you're traveling in between can be fairly typical, but 
Still, it's good to see extra time off. No more back-to-backs to worry about, anything like that. The more time off, the better for this Lakers team. Again, I think they are playing on some heavy legs, so hopefully getting a little bit of rest and recuperation. Let's face it, they could probably use a month off, but getting any kind of rest and recuperation at this point is a welcome sight. So good that the Lakers get to rest up a bit. I already got the the official word from the Lakers. They're not even practicing tomorrow. I'm sure they'll just do a little bit of film work and just focus on resting up their bodies and getting prepared tactically for taking on the Memphis Grizzlies. So good for the Lakers to be able to get a little bit of rest. And I think the NBA schedule helps them out a little bit here as well. Now, I do have a lot of questions and comments from fans to get into, but before I get to that, I do want to address one thing, and that's something that I mentioned on yesterday's podcast. I also put it out there on Twitter, but there's some people who were still a little bit confused about what I meant. So what I'm talking about right now is the Lakers and the draft pick swap situation with the the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, if you are that person that totally gets the situation, maybe skip ahead a minute or two in in the podcast here because this will be old hat to you. You already know what I'm talking about here, but I had enough people reach out saying, I don't fully understand what this means for the pick swap that I figured I need to address this here. So let's get into the pick swap situation. So the way that it would work is that the Pelicans, they had the right to switch their pick with the Lakers. So for example, these numbers are not correct. This is me making up these numbers, but let's just say the Lakers pick landed at 10. Now it's actually going to land at 17, but let's pretend the Lakers pick landed at 10 and the Pelicans pick landed at 17. The Lakers were in the lottery. They wind up with the 10th pick. The Pelicans pick landed at 17. What would happen is the Pelicans would execute that pick swap. They would move up to 10. The Lakers would move back to 17. And the Pelicans would get the benefit of picking seven slots higher than they would have otherwise if they just had their own pick. Now, you can see where this could be a very, very valuable thing, having a pick swap. For example, if at at one point this season, the Pelicans were the one seed in the Western Conference. So if they were the one seed, They were headed towards maybe the 28th, 29th, 30th pick, one of the last picks of the first round. And the Lakers couldn't seem to win a game. They were like 2-10. and Um, And it was, I mean, a lot of Pelicans fans were talking about the Lakers giving them Victor Wembanyama. So if the Lakers had continued continued along that trajectory and had been in the lottery and had finished with the first overall pick, then the Pelicans execute the pick swap. Well, you can see how powerful of a thing a pick swap could be. The Pelicans could have moved up from 28 to one to two, three, somewhere like that, that would be incredibly valuable. However, it also can be not valuable at all. And that is the world that we live in now. See, what happens is a pick swap is only valuable if the team that has the right to execute that swap finishes with a better record than the team that they can swap with. Because otherwise, it just makes sense for that team to keep their own pick. So because the Lakers finish seventh, and as I'm recording this, the Pelicans are playing the Oklahoma City Thunder, their season might come to an end uh, tonight, or it could be that they move on to play the Wolves to see if they can go in and get the eighth seed. But regardless, the bottom line is that the Pelicans are guaranteed now to finish with a worse record than the Lakers. The Lakers are not in the lottery, so there's no chance that the Lakers somehow hit on a low percentage shot towards the end of the lottery and move up to a top pick. That can't happen. So no matter what, the Pelicans pick, if they just keep their own selection, will be better in the draft than the Lakers pick. So that means that pick swap that they got from the Anthony Davis trade, 
it has no value. Now, I've had a lot of people asking, well, wait, but does that mean they get it next year or can it be deferred to another year? No, it's dead. The pick swap is dead and buried. Well, I guess technically if the Pelicans really wanted to, they could still execute the pick swap, but nobody's going to trade back. Nobody's going to push their own pick back like that. So it's dead. It does not transfer over to next year, anything like that. It's a pick swap this year and this year only. The reason why pick swaps exist is because of the Stepien rule. You're only allowed to trade picks in non-consecutive drafts into the future. I mean, you can't trade back-to-back future first-round picks. It's a long story, but essentially there was an old Cleveland Cavaliers owner named Ted Stepien back in the 80s that traded away so many future picks that the NBA stepped in and actually took away his right to trade at all for a little bit while they figured it out because they were scared he was going to trade like a decade's worth of picks and just ruin the franchise. And so uh, they made the rule that you are not allowed to trade consecutive future first round picks. That's why the Lakers 2027 and 2029 first round picks were the picks that we talked about so much at the trade deadline as potentially being available. You can't trade 2027 and 2028. You can't trade back-to-back picks. What you can do though is offer a pick swap. As long as you still have a first round pick, you don't trigger the Stepien rule. So that's why pick swaps come into play from time to time. It's a way for a team to provide value in consecutive seasons, even if they can't give up both of those consecutive picks. So that's the situation there. As far as what else do the Lakers owe the Pelicans, this pick swap, it's dead. It's no value to New Orleans. So when we're looking at the total value of the Anthony Davis trade, they got nothing from this pick swap. The Lakers owe the Pelicans one first round pick. That's it. Their debt to the Pelicans is over as soon as they give the Pelicans one more first round pick. The Pelicans have an opportunity to tell the Lakers whether they want the 2024 first or 2025 first. I've had a lot of people asking me what's the exact date they have to decide by. Typically, it's shortly before the draft of that year, but I've yet to see the exact date. But figure sometime in the weeks leading up to the 2024 NBA draft, the Pelicans have to notify the Lakers whether they want that year's pick or to defer to the 2025 NBA draft. You have to imagine if the Lakers have a good season next year, the Pelicans will say, no, thanks. We'll take the pick in 2024, or I'm sorry, 2025. But once that's done, that's it. The Lakers have all of their future first round picks, except for 2027, because they traded that in the Russell Westbrook trade and their debt to the New Orleans Pelicans from the Anthony Davis deal. It's done. So once again, this pick swap over, doesn't carry over next year. It's dead. Pelicans got nothing out of it. And I know Lakers fans are probably smiling at that because there were a lot of Pelicans fans running around talking about the Lakers, giving them Victor Wembanyama and how the Lakers were going to tank for the Pelicans while they were, while the Pelicans themselves were going to be winning and all that. Lo and behold, the Lakers finished with a better record than New Orleans did. All right, let's get into some of the questions and comments here. Um, Retro Satan with an interesting name. Said, sorry I've talked about, but Dilo Sheesh. Um, Black Panther said, what happened with Dilo? So D'Angelo Russell obviously had a a terrible game. In fact, I would say his worst game so far as a Laker. Uh, A terrible game against uh, the Wolves. It was a bad time to have his worst game. But uh, D'Lo's been very good for the Lakers overall. And I was hoping, it was one of my keys to the game, that D'Lo had a better game than uh, Mike Conley obviously did not happen. In fact, there was a big gap between the two players. But D'Angelo Russell, he's been really good for the Lakers. He's been hitting his threes. He's looked good in the backcourt with Austin Reeves. I, I, you can't just excuse a game like that and say, oh, well, 
you know, because if this happens again in a big game situation, then there starts to be more concerns and everything. But until we go down that path, for the time being, I'm just going to say, you know what? It was one game. It was a bad game. It was a, a very bad game, but it was one game. And overall, he's been very good. And I'm just going to trust that for the time being, he will improve. He'll get back on track. Everybody has bad games sometimes. And unfortunately, that was just a really bad game for D'Angelo Russell. And also, you know, I think this speaks to a bigger picture, too. You know, Darvin Ham came to the Lakers. And look, I know a lot of people aren't happy with Darvin Ham and what he's done uh, with this team. And there's, look, there, they are, there are just reasons to complain about what Darvin Ham has done this season. There are plenty of things to question that have happened this year. So I'm not saying those who complain about Darvin Ham are simply wrong or anything like that. But I just want to give credit where credit is due. You know, Darvin Ham came to the Lakers, and one of the phrases that he used that really caught on was facts over feelings, meaning I'm going to play who's going to help us win, and if it hurts your feelings that you're not playing, then play better, right? Well, what happened against the Wolves? Wenyan Gabriel, who's been I, great. I love Wenyan Gabriel. He's been good this season. For a guy that's on a veteran minimum contract that wasn't even a lock to make the roster, He's giving you energy minutes off the bench, but the matchup was not good for him. In fact, the size issue with Wenyan was very, very apparent, and he only played two minutes. He couldn't defend Carl Anthony Towns, and so Darwin said, Wenyan, look, you've been our backup center for much of the season. Sorry, you're not playing. He played two minutes, showed he couldn't handle defending Carl Anthony Towns, and that was it. Darwin Ham took him right back out, said, nope. Wenyan, you've been great this season, but tonight's not your night. D'Lo, again, he's making, the, the Lakers are paying him. He's on a $30 million contract, and he's having a terrible night. Darvin Ham said, Dennis Schroeder on a veteran minimum, you're playing better. You're getting the minutes. Austin, you're getting the minutes. And he's right to do that. That was That's not an easy decision to make necessarily. It, maybe it's not as, um, as, as much of a minefield as the Russell Westbrook situation, but still that's not necessarily an easy decision to make. And I want to give credit to Darvin him for making that choice for recognizing, Hey, when he doesn't have it this game, he's not playing. D'Lo doesn't have it this game. Dennis is getting the minutes because he's got it going. Credit to Darvin him for making those choices. Again, not everything was perfect in this game, far from it, but he made the correct choices when it came to who got the minutes in this game. All right, Nikki, said, I think we all need to visit our heart doctor after the playoffs. Well, I hope it's the LeBron James of heart doctors. LOL, I'll take the win. What do you think about their turnovers tonight? Sloppy. Yeah, especially, you know, LeBron's turnovers were particularly careless, and so that was concerning. Hopefully that's not something that continues. But we did see some sloppy turnovers, and that's where I think the fatigue kind of rears its ugly head. Hopefully they clean those up because the Grizzlies are really, really good at turning teams over. And the Lakers got to be careful. In fact, the Lakers, in one of the games they played Memphis this season, had a season-high 26 turnovers. You simply can't win a basketball game when you turn the ball over that much. You make it all, all but mathematically impossible to win a basketball game when you turn it over 26 times. So the turnovers have got to get fixed, and they've got to get fixed quickly before the Lakers take on the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, big game, 0781. Said no movement in crunch time. LeBron just pulling up. Yeah, you know what? Like LeBron James, for as excited as the Lakers are and should be, that LeBron is back, it's still been a bit surprising when you see how stagnant they can get with him on the floor. Uh, and look, again, LeBron is a major net positive for the team. So I'm not, 
I'm not trying to say that they were better off without LeBron or anything. I saw people that were crazy that were making that argument when LeBron first came back. But yeah, I would like to see a little bit more movement. And also, look, this honestly, this drove me crazy. If you were watching on playback, you know what I'm talking about. We watch every game together, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. If you haven't checked it out, come join us. Come hang out with us while we watch the game. It's a ton of fun. We're watching on the same screen, the same stream of the game, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. I'm on there. Sean Davis is on there. Jeff Spiegel jumps in, Matt the Optimist Peralta. And we're all talking, talking hoops and, and communicating with everybody in our in our chat and everything. It's a lot of fun. So come join us if you haven't done so. But I was really frustrated that multiple times with 5,000 Carl Anthony Towns, the Lakers worked hard to get Towns defensively switched onto LeBron. And then LeBron pulled up. He bailed him out rather than drive the ball at Towns and either get him out of the game by making him commit another foul or let Towns just play Olay defense because he doesn't want to commit, commit a foul and getting a dunk or a layup off of it. Instead, LeBron pulled up. It was some strangely poor decision-making from LeBron. Now, again, I thought he had a good game overall, but it wasn't a necessarily dominant, typical LeBron performance. But he looked pretty out of gas. There was moments at the end of the game where he was, you know, hands on his knees. Clearly, he was uh, he was struggling. So hopefully these four days off go a long way towards helping him out. Christian, AD's offense is much better when he gets the ball and moves. He's more aggressive. I'd like to see him scan the floor uh, and just go to work. Um, yeah, like on one hand, yes. I would like to see AD more aggressive in general, more dominant, attacking everything. We'd like to see that. But I'll also say when teams are sending doubles at AD, you have to recognize where that double is coming from so you can counter it appropriately. Like if AD just goes, let's say AD spins, catches the ball, spins baseline. Well, if that double is coming from the top, it's going to be coming from his blind side. And there's a good chance that he's going to lose the ball. So I understand why he's got to take a beat and figure out where the double is coming from. If it's coming, we've seen even teams triple team him. And then if it comes, understand where that pass is, where the next pass is. Because, right, that's, I talk about this all the time. What you have to do is you have to punish teams for their choices. So if a team is going to double Anthony Davis, what you need to do is you need to punish them for making that decision by swing, swing, swing the ball quickly. Maybe it's two passes, maybe it's three, whatever it is. Somebody is going to get an open look out of it. And so you have to be able to say, okay, you're going to double us. But Delo's going to hit a corner three on the other side when we move the ball here, and he's going to be wide open. So I understand AD wanting to stop and read the floor for a moment because that's what you have to do in order to properly respond to that double team. But at the same time, I understand that sentiment of AD, just grab the ball and go. Just, just be better than the guy that's trying to defend you and say, I'm going to score on you, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. I would like to see AD in that mode. More often than not. Mood Music said, I was scratching my head when Darvin Ham had Wenyan Gabriel guarding Carl Anthony Towns and AD was on the bench. I was screaming for Mo Bamba. Well, ultimately, the Lakers went with Rui Hachimura quite a bit, which didn't surprise me because he did pretty well guarding Towns the last time the Lakers saw the Wolves. But um, again, credit to Darvin for recognizing quickly that Wenyan wasn't able to get it done and getting him out of the game. He did a good job with that. As far as Mo Bamba, What's going to happen if Mo is defending Towns? He's probably going to give up open threes, right? Because Mo's not going to go, want to let Towns drive past him. Like Wenyon was not big enough in the paint, but Towns can also shoot. So if Mo Bamba is closing out on Towns, well, then 
then Towns is going to drive past him. Or if he sags off so that he doesn't get driven past, Towns is going to shoot the three over him. So it's a problematic matchup either way there. Johnny. Oh, no, Johnny. Said, girlfriend just broke up with me a week before my birthday, but at least the Lakers won. Well, first of all, Johnny, I'll just say time heals all wounds. Uh, sorry for, for you going through that, but at least the Lakers did indeed get that win. Doug said, flying under the radar is the four days the Lakers got. Yep, that's going to be really important for them. Their ability to now take the extra days to rest and recover and hopefully have much fresher legs when they see uh, the Grizzlies in game one of round one of the playoffs. Super dope hip hop said LeBron or anyone over 30, 10, six, three stocks on 57, 50, 100 splits who had what should have been a beautiful game, a beautiful game winning dime plus clutch tying three late is the superstar of the night. Don't overthink it. Plus minus small sample aside. Yeah, I did. Um, I did give my superstar of the night to Dennis Schroeder, but I did that because Sean went with LeBron. And so I wanted to mix it up a little bit. I really liked what LeBron did overall in that night. And it, we talked about this. It, it goes back to this idea that, you know, LeBron, he tends to just make the right play, but sometimes that catches him a lot of flack. Like the right play was to hit a wide open Dennis Schroeder for that shot. And LeBron trusted him and he knocked it down. But if Schroeder had missed that and the Lakers had gone on to lose that game, LeBron would have been absolutely torn to shreds um, by the various talking heads for making the right play, for not taking the shot himself, though, because that's what we think of as a superstar. The guy's going to take the shot every single time. LeBron instead got himself into the paint. The entire defense collapsed. No one was anywhere close to Dennis Schroeder. And LeBron said, I'm going to trust him to knock it down. And knock it down, he did. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. WGO said AD had slow-mo on him. Uh, he just passes back out WTF. Um, yeah, I, again, that's where I would like to see AD be a little bit more aggressive, take advantage of 
the situation and go at a guy like Kyle Anderson. Certainly. That's definitely something that I would like to see as well. And I agree. It's, it's where we'd like to see AD look for his own shot a little bit more. I didn't think AD had a terrible game, certainly, but it wasn't the dominant Anthony Davis performance. Now, I thought he did a lot of things on the boards and defensively and all of that. So again, I'm not saying he had a bad game, but it just wasn't the transcendent type of performance you were looking for at Anthony Davis. He's got a big matchup ahead of him with Jaron Jackson Jr. coming up with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. That's going to be quite a battle to watch. Causing Lyric said almost threw something when Braun dove and then a foul. There was some strange officiating in this game and there were some frustrating moments. It felt like the officiating was just inconsistent. What wasn't a foul in the first half was a foul in the second, especially as we got late into the third quarter into the fourth. They were letting everything go in the first half, which benefited Mem- uh, benefited Minnesota. So the players had to be frustrated because what was and wasn't a foul definitely shifted as the game went on. And that's what players say all the time. We just want consistency. That's all we want. Consistency. This question says, what's your rotation for the Grizzlies series? You know, it's going to be a difficult one. And the big, the big question is who is it that you want defending John Morant? Is it Dennis Schroeder? So you can put speed on him. Is it Austin Reeves to get, kind of just a middle ground average defender across the board? Is it Jared Vanderbilt and hope that his size creates some problems and forces Jaw to shoot some three-point shots? It's going to be tough. And I think really the answer might be all of the above, and it's also going to be just a team effort to defend Jaw. And then from there, it becomes a question of what are you looking to, to do on the offensive end of the floor? Are you looking to try to use size and strength against the Grizzlies? Are you trying to put more shooting on the floor? Personally, I don't know that this is going to be a great Wenyan Gabriel series, at least not matched up with Jaron Jackson Jr. He just doesn't have the size there. I'm trying to mirror Anthony Davis's minutes with Jaron Jackson as much as I possibly can. And then from there, I'm trying to put guys on the floor who can give you a little bit of everything, a little bit of versatility, because I think that's what's going to be needed in this series. Memphis has a lot of different options. I mean, right now, Luke Kennard is, is the best shooter in the NBA, 49%, 49 plus percent, almost 50% from three he is the best three-point shooter in the league by five percent like that's ridiculous so you've got to deal with that you also have Desmond Bain who can do a lot of things you've got guys other guys on the Grizzlies who can do stuff and so I think the ability for just about everybody on the floor to be able to defend that's going to be important for the Lakers and so I think a lot of versatility is going to be needed so I imagine we're going to see a lot of Rui Hachimura we're going to see a lot of Troy Brown now the Grizzlies don't have a lot of their size missing Brandon Clark of course missing Stephen Adams so that's where I think these wings are going to be incredibly incredibly important for the Lakers. I am curious about D'Angelo Russell's role. Um, he's obviously not going to defend John Morant. That would not go well for the Lakers. Does he get switch hunted? And then on the other end of the floor, can he get his shooting going? Because let's face it, the Lakers need him hitting threes, getting points for them. That's going to be another thing to watch. So I don't know if I can say this is my rotation for certain going into the series uh, I think some of it, Darvin Ham is going to have to read and react to what's happening out on the floor. In terms of how you start things, I'm starting with the current starting lineup and then making adjustments from there. I don't think you change up the starting five right now, not just yet. It's D'Lo, it's Austin, LeBron, AD, Jared Vanderbilt. That's my starting five. But I do think that this could be a big series for Rui Hachimura, for Troy Brown Jr. I think you're going to need contributions from them in this one. Uh, Hermes said, if the Lakers can consistently play defense like they did in the fourth, 
and OT, they will be hard to beat. Yeah, they've been one of, if not the best defensive team in the NBA since the trade deadline. Now, they have had something of a light schedule, so that's certainly a factor, but they've also played really good defense. Now, I wouldn't expect them to hold teams to 12 points uh, very often in a quarter. That's very, very difficult to do, but they can be a very good defensive team, and I think they're going to have to be in this series. They're going to have to play a very high level of defense, and they're going to have to keep their turnovers down. Those are the things I'm going to be looking for. Can you make Memphis... Uh, be inefficient in their offense. That will be critical uh, in this series. And the Lakers defense is going to have a lot to say about that. All right, I'm going to take a quick pause to talk about one of our sponsors, and that is game time. You know, one of the things about buying tickets to an event, whether it's a sporting event, whether it's a concert, whatever, one of the things that I always, I drive myself crazy doing this is I want to get the best deal. And sometimes it's really hard when you're jumping like app to app, company to company, trying to figure out what really is the best deal. Because when you put the tickets in your cart and then you get the fees in, and by the time you go to checkout, the price can be very, very different. And not everybody does it the same way. So it, I have to spend a lot of time comparing prices. But the brilliant part about game time is you don't have to do any of that. They have a best price guarantee. So that allows you to stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you will have. Again, this is a real problem that I deal with and game time just takes that stress, that worry out of the picture. They have flash deals, last minute tickets, which makes it super easy to say, Hey, got a free night. Let's go. Let's go to a game. Let's go have some fun and, uh, and, and watch a game. Very easy to do that with game time, which is fantastic. If you're that spontaneous type, this is a fantastic app for you. You get images of your seats as well. So you know exactly what you're getting. And once again, that lowest price guarantee. I absolutely love that. Um, the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Think about that. That's how confident game time is that you're getting the best deal. They're going to give you 110% of the difference if they are not the highest price. So you can buy with confidence that you're getting a great deal, which I love. And again, that is my biggest stress when I'm buying tickets. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use our code LakersNation for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LakersNation for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Uh, all right, Trevor Lanestan says, glad, glad Ham benched Wenyan Gabriel when he had nearly zero impact. Well, he only played two minutes, but I'm glad that Darvin Ham recognized very quickly that that was not a game for Wenyan Gabriel to be in, that he wasn't going to be able to uh, contend with Carl Anthony Towns, wasn't going to give you what you needed there, and so he pulled him. Uh, I've talked about this in the past, but look, Wenyan Gabriel, he's 6'9", 205. Now, he's certainly a better rim protector than Rui Hachimura, but that doesn't mean he's a great rim protector or anything. But he's 6'9", 205. Rui is 6'8", 230 with a 7'2 wingspan. And again, if I had to pick one player to be a weak side shot blocker, I'm probably going with Wenyan. Though Rui can do it a little bit as well. But just in terms of who has the physical strength, the weight to contend with somebody in the post, I understand why those minutes should go to Rui in this specific matchup. There may be other matchups where Wenyan is useful, particularly when we look ahead to the Grizzlies matchup, right? If you do have Wenyan on the floor when say Jaron Jackson Jr. is not. I don't know that Wenyan's going to get a lot of minutes, but for five minutes, maybe, if you need a big on the floor, Jaron Jackson Jr. is not out there, 
and you want somebody who can at least contend on the perimeter or can at least fight through a switch, Wenyon has the best shot of doing that out of any of the big, whether it's Mo Bamba, Tristan Thompson, Wenyon, he's got the opportunity to do that. So I won't say he's completely done for in the Grizzlies series, but I certainly wouldn't be putting him on the floor asking him to defend Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't think that's going to go well for the Lakers. Salastar Productions says, D'Lo's been great since the deadline and is crucial to our run. He'll be back for Memphis. By the way, big WWE fan, uh, when is Masterpiece coming on the stream? So uh, we were just talking with Chris Masters the other night when the Lakers took on the Wolves, and um, I'll have to ask him. I'll see when we can get him to come back on. But D'Lo's been great since the deadline. Yeah, look, he's got a history of struggling in the playoffs, so hopefully that doesn't continue. Hopefully he writes that wrong and has a great postseason for the Lakers, but they need him shooting threes. He's been shooting better than 40% from deep as a Laker, and that's what you need. You need D'Lo knocking in those open looks because you know Memphis is going to focus on slowing down uh, LeBron, focus on slowing down AD. If they send the double at AD, there's going to be opportunities there for D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, for some of the other Lakers shooters to step up and knock in threes. And if they can do that at a high rate of efficiency, that would go a long way towards helping the Lakers win the series. Uh, Mark, does anyone want more of when the Lakers played Davis at the four next to traditional rim-running bigs who blocked shots and got rebounds. Hashtag SWAT team. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad thing to go back to. Certainly brings back fond memories of AD playing alongside JaVale McGee, playing alongside Dwight Howard when the Lakers led the NBA in blocks, when the Lakers were just bigger, stronger, tougher than everybody else. But that guy doesn't isn't on this team. And frankly, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee aren't those guys anymore from a few years ago. So you don't have that player. That's that's the problem. But here's the other piece to this. The reason why, perhaps why we don't see the Lakers do that, it's because Anthony Davis isn't shooting the three like he used to. He's not. What's he shooting? 26% from three this season? He was 33% that season. 33% plus it's Anthony Davis. People are going to care when he's behind the three-point line. At 26%, eh, teams don't really worry too much when AD is shooting the three. Last season, he was like 19%. He has not shot the ball well enough, and that's the problem. That's the problem. If you are going to have that big-time rebounding, shot-blocking player out there, they're probably not a three-point shooter. It's hard to find that guy that can shoot the three and do those things. The crazy thing is the Lakers had that guy in Brook Lopez that was years ago and then decided to let him go even though he wanted to stay. But, man, would he be a nice fit with Anthony Davis right now. But all of that being said, that's part of the appeal of Mo Bamba and maybe that's what he's getting at here. Mark is getting at that. Hey, you've got Mobamba on the team who can shoot the three. Because essentially, with AD not hitting the three at a high rate anymore and not even shooting them that often, you kind of need whoever is on the floor with him to be able to shoot the three. So if you're going to put another big with him, you have to find a center who can protect the rim and shoot the three. Well, Mobamba can do that in theory, but the idea of Mobamba, even now, has been better than. Mobamba has actually been so yes Mo has been that kind of guy that can shoot the three and in theory can block shots but he hasn't been that good for the Lakers to the point where it's not really it's not like he is this incredible defensive player where you say yep we're going to go two bigs and Mo's going to spread the floor it would be great if someday he gets to that point but I don't think we're there right now with Mobamba Dustin said, can we find AD when he does dumb stuff like that? I'm sure Dustin is talking about 
Um, the Lakers, unfortunate situation at the end of the game, the end of regulation, when AD fouled Mike Conley, uh, shooting that three-point shot. Uh, second time AD's done that, did it to Maxi Kleba as well, led to a Lakers loss to Dallas. Uh, painful. I mean, you win that game like you should have, and you're the sixth seed right now. And you didn't have to go through Minnesota. You'd be playing the Sacramento Kings. Um, much shorter flight. But nonetheless, uh, are you going to find him? No. You're not going to find him. Like, if a player just doesn't show up, yeah, you find him. A, a player gets into a shouting match with a coach, yeah, you find him. Bad behavior, you find him. Making a mistake on the basketball floor, no, they're not going to get fined for that. They're not going to get fined for making a mistake on the basketball court. Come on. Gifted images. D'Lo stunk up the joint tonight. Yep, he did. But it's just one game. He needs to be locked in and focused for this next series. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if the implication there is that he wasn't locked in and focused against Minnesota. I think he just had a bad night. I think he had a bad night, and I'm hopeful that it was just one bad game, and we'll see him bounce back. That's, uh, that's what hopefully happens. Now, if it becomes a consistent thing, then that's a different conversation we can have. But, yeah, I don't know that it was from a lack of focus or anything. I think he just had a bad shooting night, and that kind of bled through into a lot of the rest of the game. And by the way, I think that principle kind of applied to the Lakers in general against the Wolves because it was pretty apparent that the Lakers' game plan in the early going, and I loved it, was Gobert is out, so we are going to hammer them in the paint. We're going to get all the offensive rebounds. We're going to take the ball to the basket. We're going to dare Carl Anthony Towns to be a rim protector. We're going to get him in foul trouble, and – we're going to bully this team. And that's what we're going to do. It was great. That would be my game plan too. I thought it was a fantastic game plan until the Lakers couldn't score at the rim. And now to be fair, they got fouled a ton and the referees weren't calling it. They were letting a lot of stuff go. And that's a, a, another conversation, but the Lakers taking the ball to the basket wasn't working. They weren't scoring. And then when, and while they would get multiple rebounds and offensive opportunities, they still couldn't score. And then the Wolves would eventually get the ball and that would turn into, at worst, semi-transition, if not full transition transition opportunities, which created some three-point attempts for the Wolves and they all went down. It was a perfect storm, right? Of the Lakers' offensive game plan was working in the sense that, yes, they were getting the ball into the paint, but they couldn't finish. And then the fear, of course, was going into the game. And I said this a bunch, you couldn't have an outlier three-point shooting performance from the Wolves. That's exactly what you got. And part of that was the Lakers not scoring on their end would then allow the Wolves to get in, into transition going the other way. So it felt like things were spiraling out of control for a bit there. You're executing your game plan and it's not working. And then you're getting lit up on the other end of the floor. So you start to question, do we stick with this? Do we just believe that this is just an aberration that over time this is going to work. Do we change things up? What do we do? It seemed like there were moments there where the Lakers were doing what they needed to do. They were locked in. They were focused. But it just wasn't working. I think that – and that started to frustrate them. And we could see that. And there was those moments where, okay, what do we do now? Like this was our plan and now it's not – how do we approach this? I think the same held true for D'Lo. For D'Lo himself within the game was – he wanted to come out and just destroy the Wolves. He wanted to be great. He wanted to be locked in, focused, and uh, and stick it to his old team. And the shots weren't falling. And that's so much of his game, is making those shots. And they were not falling. And so then he's, 
okay, what do I do? How do I contribute? And again, to Darvin Ham's credit, he saw that D'Lo was not having a good game. Dennis Schroeder was, and so he replaced him. Facts over feelings, right? Renfam, how was D'Lo so bad? How does he fix it? I really think it just, it all spiraled up down from him not hitting shots. I think that was it. He was just not, he got eight assists. He just wasn't hitting his shots. And that bled into the rest of his game. Just like the Lakers. They weren't hitting their shots as a team. Their game plan wasn't working. And you saw that kind of rattle them a little bit in terms of the rest of their game. Justin, please tell me we will trap Morant and make Brooks shoot 20 times a game. Well, that should be the game plan. But it's much easier said than done. And the challenge is when it is a Luke Kennard, when it's Desmond Bain, when those guys are on the floor. So... If you trap Ja, which is, that's the Frank Vogel special that's very common in the NBA, right? We saw Frank Vogel's teams do it to James Harden. We saw him do it to uh, Jimmy Butler, right? Send two players at the ball, force the ball handler to give it up. Now you got to be careful. Ja might just, he's so explosive, might just split the double, but send two at the ball handler, force him to give it up. And you're doing a couple things. Um, you're trusting because once that ball handler, if it's Ja, gives up the ball, you're trusting that your three remaining defenders that are now active in the play are able to defend adequately a man down because you've essentially now you're four on three for three, four, maybe five seconds. That's what you're hoping that your three defenders can adequately defend a man down for a few seconds while the other guys recover. That's number one. So you're putting pressure on your defense to do that. But then you're also hoping that what's going to happen. And we saw this happen in the rocket series in 2020 is the ball is going to wind up in the hands of somebody who is not used to being a decision maker. The ball is going to get to somebody where it's a four on three situation. They've got a man advantage and they can't capitalize on that because they're not used to being the decision maker in space and taking those opportunities. Cause let's face it in the NBA, you have to read things very, very quickly. You have to recognize things fast and make a decision, dribble, pass, shoot. What is it you're going to do? And that clock is ticking. Again, if you send two at the ball, wherever that pass goes to release the pressure there, whoever gets the ball has to make a very quick decision in order to take advantage of that four-on-three situation because the other two defenders are recovering. So you've got to quickly make it. And if you can do that consistently, that's how you beat that kind of defense. But on the Grizzlies, if that ball goes to Desmond Bain and he's got a little bit of space, that ball goes to Luke Kennard, who's the best three-point shooter in the NBA, and he's got any space. Good night. Right? That's that's the problem. Even Jaron Jackson Jr. can shoot the three. So you got to be careful if you do that. I know the plan should be to get the ball out of Jaw's hands as much as possible. But with that kind of shooting on the floor, you got to be very careful in how you do it. And it's easy to say, well, make D Dylan Brooks the shooter. Yeah. Statistically, you should. He's a low 30% three-point shooter. If you can have Dylan Brooks shooting that shot instead of Luke Kennard, instead of uh, Desmond Bain, instead of Jaron Jackson, yes. Yes, please. And you live with it if he makes them. If he makes them, you live with it. But that's who you want shooting them. But it's much easier said than done. That every single time, it's not going to go to Jaron Jackson. It's not going to go to Kennard. It's not going to go to Desmond Bain. And it's going to be Dylan Brooks that gets that shot. Easier said than done. R. Noel, can someone tell me Dennis and Beasley plus minus when both are on the court? 
Why does Ham keep putting them on the court together? Eye test says it doesn't work. Well, your eye test is indeed backed up by the plus minus. They are minus 4.5 points per 100 possessions uh, with like 660 or so uh, possessions. So not a small sample size necessarily. Not a huge sample size, but not really a small sample size either. So yeah, it hasn't worked. And in theory, you would think it should work okay. I mean, Dennis is at least a scrappy defender, so maybe he can make up for Beasley's struggles there. Dennis, not a great three-point shooter. Beasley is a very willing three-point shooter that is a threat. So you would think those strengths and weaknesses might complement each other a little bit. But yeah, to this point, it just hasn't worked out well. And maybe that comes down to Beasley not shooting great from three. I think he's at like 35% as a Laker now, which is, you know, you're hoping for 38% and above. Uh, but that's not awful, awful. But yeah, the, the plus minus says it, it hasn't gone well. So that is the eye test is indeed backed up by the numbers right now. And I look in the playoffs and we saw it against the Wolves. Minutes get cut. Rotations get shorter. They just do. It's not as big of a deal if AD's playing now 38 to 40 minutes a night. And same with LeBron. And same with some of your other starters because it's the playoffs. The regular season, it's a different story. You got to rely on your depth a little bit more. You got to feed minutes to some other guys, get through this long marathon of a season. Not true in the playoffs. So your rotation gets shorter, and sometimes that means minutes are cut. And if that Dennis and, and Beasley backcourt doesn't work, maybe some minutes get cut even further. Jarrell, should we be worried it took OT for AD to get to 24 points? He has to be great offensively versus Jaron Jackson Jr. for us to win. Yeah, and part of that's on the coaching staff, and Darvin Ham admitted that after the game, that they've got to be better about getting him the ball and getting him looks. But yeah, I, I think a big key, just like the key against the Wolves, it, look, Jaron Jackson Jr. is foul prone. Uh, he commits a lot. And if you can get him out of the game, that would benefit the Lakers. And AD going against him and putting Jaron Jackson in foul trouble is going to be really important. Getting AD the ball is going to be, I mean, not rocket science, one of your best players, him being involved is going to be important. I hope we don't see too many instances or any instances really where Anthony Davis is not involved enough. If anything, we should say AD is overly involved, right, on the offensive end. Force the ball to him if you have to. For, and again, not to the detriment of, of creating turnovers, but I'm saying really do go out of the way to make him involved in your offense because I think that will benefit the team, even if they're sending doubles. Punish them for their choices. Say thank you, move the ball, and take the open shot as a result. But you got to make smart choices there. Dylan, relax, Lakers Nation. Stop overreacting. All players have bad games. D'Lo has been solid for our team. Fans are so quick to switch player jerseys, shaking my head. Part of that is the point of the season that we're at right now, right? Everything gets magnified. Every game matters. And so a player has a great game, and it's this guy is the best ever has a bad game, this guy is the worst, and how can this team play him, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it just comes with the territory, and thank goodness they are back in the postseason, but yes, we don't. D'Lo overall has been much better than what we saw against him. That was his worst game. Players have bad games. Hopefully, he'll move on. Superdope Hip-Hop said, D'Lo is worth $20 million per season, not $30 million, in my opinion. He may not be wrong there, right? I don't think that's outrageous postseason is now 37 35 splits Schroeder star and roll which ham must be uh smiling at austin reeves 
D'Lo, Vando must be better to beat the Grizz. Agreed. If Vando can't defend John Morant, I wonder what kind of what his minutes are going to look like. I think that's going to be an important test. What does Vando do? Can he defend Ja or not? It's going to be tough, but who else does he defend? That's the thing. Like, if this was, I don't I mean, if you had, if it's the Clippers, okay, he's defending Kawhi, or he's defending Paul George if he's healthy, right? If it's the Suns, okay, you've got him on Devin Booker or Kevin Durant or something like that, right? The, the big wing scores, that's where Vando is at his most valuable. The problem is the teams that don't have that guy as their main scores, Vando isn't as valuable because it's much more difficult for him to defend a super quick point guard or a big with a lot of size who scores. So like if it's Joel Embiid, eh, that's really tough for Vando. If it's John Morant, that's really tough for Vando. So that's going to be the big question. Can Vando at least make Jaw work? Because I think there are going to be possessions where the Lakers are going to try it but I'm not 100% certain that it's going to work. The game close was close because D'Lo was terrible. Brown was bad. Well, D'Lo, Austin, and Troy Brown combined, and these are, I believe, statistically your three best three-point shooters, but they shot one for 12 from deep. And so you have to hope that that doesn't continue and assume that it won't. Um, doesn't mean, I mean, it's possible that they will, but... You have to hope that they will not continue to shoot this poorly. Those are the guys you want shooting threes. They just did not knock them down in this game. Dre Johnson. D'Lo's problem was he was focused on killing the Wolves versus playing the game. He wanted to go crazy against his former team. I didn't feel like he was forcing things too much. Then he took shots that were there. He just couldn't make them. And maybe he put too much pressure on himself to beat his former team, but I don't know. Samaj Brown. So it felt like game seven, Cavs, Warriors. The last four minutes of that game, both teams couldn't hit a shot and made bad decisions. Whoever made the first shot was going to win. Kyrie did then. Dennis made it tonight. Yeah, it's a good comparison, right? Yeah, Dennis Schroeder finally knocked down a shot. It was not a pretty game, but the Lakers ultimately got the win against the Wolves, and so we'll take it. We will gladly take it. All right, I do have a lot more questions to get into, comments to get into, a lot of more discussion topics, plenty of stuff for us to discuss, but... I'm going to wrap things up to the, up there for this show. I want to thank everybody for joining me. Make sure you are following us over on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. It's playoff time. Make sure you're subscribing. Turn on those notifications. And, of course, over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us there as well. Do both things. Follow the YouTube channel. Follow over on the podcast side. We certainly would appreciate it. Till next time, everybody. See you, and stay safe. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.